take Operation Gladio. Operation mm. Gladio is was actually exposed uh, at a very high level. The uh, there was an Italian judge in 1990 who ordered an investigation into Operation Gladio. It was discussed in Parliament. The, um, there was a documentary made about it. And Operation Gladio was um, CIA-backed uh, armed organizations in Europe which were carrying out uh, terrorist attacks on civilian targets. And then the Red Brigade, uh, the communist equivalent of ISIS or Al-Qaeda, they would come out and take responsibility for it. Assalamu alaikum and welcome listeners and watchers to another episode of the Talking Dean podcast brought to you by Voice of the Ummah. Um, I'm taking Majid's place today, um, but I am um, with a couple of very good friends of mine, um, Maz and Mudassa. Um, how are you doing, guys? Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. Walaikum salam. How are you being? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Good. And yourself? Alhamdulillah, not too bad. It's snowing rather nicely outside. I've got a good proper proper bump. About an inch of snow outside already, nearly. Yeah, same here. It's building up and, uh, yeah, it's unabating. So, so yeah, nice Mate, scene. Nevertheless, <laughs> at Christmas time, if you want to build your snowmen, just go out there and start building. Build now. How, you guys been making most of lockdown and stuff like that again, or you just been a bit lazy like a lot of people? Combination of both. Uh, so there's a... Uh, quite a lot of stuff to read, keep up um, uh, with the news and uh, uh, and doing various other activities, uh, uh, various circles, other online activities. So, so it's good. I think you mentioned you were doing like a Sira class or something like that. that. That I think the opportunity now, I think a lot of people, because they're stuck at home, might think, oh, OK, just do very individual things. But I think this medium, obviously online, Zoom calls, Skype calls, it gives an opportunity to, you know, get a few brothers together and just discuss Islamic topics, which I know I've been doing. And I think some of you guys have been doing as well. It's a, it's a really good opportunity, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, online is the way to go now, especially when you're stuck inside. Uh, everything is obviously now digital, so <laughs> it gives you an opportunity to kind of communicate with others, whereas previously they might not be used or might not have used uh, Zoom or Skype and these kind of like technologies. But now, because they're so prevalent, because mm. of the lockdown, it gives you more of an opportunity to uh, reach out to people and get your message across. Yeah, I think certainly, you know, because people are having to use it so much more for work, I think people are naturally starting to realise, you know what, if we can do our jobs via these mediums, then why can't we do more of the social interaction and other kind of sessions, get-togethers? Again, nothing's going to quite replace being together with a few brothers and, and discussing some good topics, but I think for the time being, it's, it's, it's second best and it's worthwhile. Um, so anyway, we move on to the topic for today. Um, I think it's quite an interesting topic. Um, I think a lot of people have noticed that in the last few months in the media, there's this mention of a, a deep state, quite a bit more common. Um, certainly, I didn't myself hear it as much in mainstream media as I have done in the last few months. Um, I suspect, again, it's probably because of... of um, articles that are saying that the deep state wants to get rid of Trump or has got rid of Trump and and weren't happy with him. Um, equally, um, I think there is an element of, 
of people not realizing who are really the the power structure in some of these countries so i just thought it'd be a good idea first and foremost for us to have a bit of a chat about who exactly this deep state is that they refer to and 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 what exactly it is so what what are your guys thoughts on that either i mean obviously there's two kind of like two sides to this some people believe it's a genuine phenomena that actually exists and Others believe that it's a conspiracy theory and it's only publicised by the likes of Alex Jones and others, who is known to be a conspiracy theorist. Uh, and then when you do do your research, you actually realise that it was a term that was coined back uh, in relative to Turkey, where, you know, high levels of uh, um, the Turkish political structure or societal structure, it was so ingrained with people from the military intelligence services, the judiciary security, uh, and they literally controlled how the society was run, etc. And that was then obviously starting to become quite prevalent in terms of like the context of what a deep state was. And then we also know from Edward Snowden, when he kind of like, you know, released his, uh, 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 released that information that he had taken from the NSA. And in there he uh, mentions the deep state and what it is and what its reality is. So I think with a lot of people, they do have this dilemma that it actually might be true. And then at the same time, equally, they'll be thinking, actually, it's a conspiracy theory and it's not to be believed. And they might assume that or they might genuinely advocate that purely because it does then raise another question because it questions the validity of the entire structure or the apparatus that is in place, for example, in countries like America and its constitution, where the impression that people are given that it is fair, it is uh, chosen, uh, the leadership is chosen and selected by the people to execute their aspirations and their will. Uh, but deep state uh, as a concept and also the re as a reality um, puts a huge question mark on all of that. And it portrays a completely different picture, which is opposite to the narrative that's normally provided. Uh, I.e., people, uh, in, uh, what you call it, choose their leaders through the electoral process and then they execute the will of the people. So the conspiracy is almost like there's these people who are in charge, who you don't know, cannot see, you can't elect, but those people are the ones that are making your decisions and you don't have any say. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, thing is like, I mean, you probably can see them. They are tangible people uh, and tangible organizations. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is it's, you're unaware, mm. yeah. And it's you're misled, I think, are the key words if I was to kind of like, you know, describe it as such. So misled in the sense that it is not what um, you are told. Um, and it is done by those people who are ingrained within that whole apparatus, who are seasoned professionals and campaigners, been there for a very, very long time. And their personal interests and agendas are what's actually being executed as opposed to the agenda and the will of the people. Mm. What about your thoughts, Maz? Yeah, so if we were to look at the concept of uh, deep state, the uh, discussion about deep state actually has been around for a few years. And that term actually deep state is something which emerged a few years ago. And, uh, um, and Modesto, as Modesto mentioned, it was first used in reference to Turkey. And then people start talking about the deep state in America. Uh, where it really resounds. But even prior to the term uh, uh, deep state actually being used, 
people have always spoken about these dark shadowy forces and uh, whether we call them the capitalists, the people who control the finance and the power. Some people have said it's uh, Jews and it's a Jewish conspiracy to kind of blur the uh, events. Um, if you remember shows such as the X-Files from the 90s, mm. there were this shadowy world government of all these men who used to meet in grey suits in a, a dimmed out room so you couldn't really see their face and they were smoking cigars and yeah, yeah. they were the ones who were making the decisions. So um, so I think people are aware that there are uh, um, some powerful interests um, uh, in place or, or powerful interest groups and lobbies in place uh, who actually do control the levers of power and influence a lot what happens in the US and from there how they exert their influence abroad. Um, but I think there's been a deliberate effort and attempt by the same forces in order to amplify the conspiratorial elements. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the groups which actually um, talk about far-fetched theories that actually it's uh, a purely a Jewish conspiracy, um, it's a reptilian uh, invasion where you've got reptiles wearing human skin who are actually running the world and the queen and the royal family and the aristocracy are a part of it. So, uh, and the, all of that is actually done deliberately to divert and deceive the discussion away. Mm -hmm. and, and the best way to do that is to actually finance and infiltrate these organizations, even when you're talking about Alex Jones, uh, how many of these actually will be found out later on that they were actually being steered and directed and funded uh, by the deep state in order to um, to not allow credibility to the factual elements. Now, if I can draw a quick parallel, take the 9-11 conspiracy. It's very clearly uh, an inside job and all the evidence which highlights um, why the official narrative uh, on the Twin Towers or on the uh, alleged plane crash into the uh, Pentagon. Um, but those arguments are, which are factual um, are brushed over with conspiracy theories which were injected, mm -hmm. such as uh, Israelis and Jews didn't turn up to work on the day of 9-11. And then the entire emphasis placed upon that, that theory is debunked, and they use the term debunked. And then by debunking this ridiculous theory, it's used as a means to brush over what actually does warrant uh, investigation. And uh, so the deep state is actually, uh, um, uh, is, is exactly that. Um, um, and then there's a lot more to it. So. so so you're saying that these conspiracies sometimes they actually serve an objective in that having the conspiracies there is what allows people to go, oh, OK, if that get, that element gets debunked or a particular conspiracy gets debunked, this whole terminology of conspiracy theory is then by the masses. They think, well, as soon as you badge something as conspiracy theory, it clearly isn't true. Whereas as we historically find out many a conspiracy theory turns out to be proven to be quite factual certainly and that's the other thing they've, they've deliberately conditioned the masses mm. to associate the word theory with conspiracy mm. so it's, it's like it's almost like a conspiracy can't exist so every conspiracy must be a theory and, and a figment of someone's imagination mm. even though we know for a fact conspiracy is uh, what is a conspiracy? It's a deceptive manoeuvre undertaken by an entity or a party to achieve a certain objective through a deceptive way. Mm -hmm. And conspiracies uh, have been taking place historically. And in fact, the same powers that want to debunk uh, current conspiracies 
They will teach you about conspiracies historically, such as how the German um, uh, Nazi party were actually uh, the ones who burnt down the German parliament in the 1930s as a means to pass legislation to ban all other political parties through the introduction of emergency laws. So even though the same curriculum will teach you about how um, um, governments and entities have used uh, these kind of actions to further their own political objectives and aims, but it's like it's impossible for it to happen now. It can happen in the, when the, uh, the Senate uh, in Rome was burnt down to achieve objectives. It can happen with the Reichstag fire, the German parliament, in order to introduce these laws uh, to ban all other political parties. It can, so, but it can never happen in the 20th or the 21st century by the powers that exist today in order to further their political objectives. Yeah, the way I've always looked at it is, um, and again, you guys can add to this, is that, that the notion of having people who can effectuate some degree of change and influence, but then not having them accountable by you know the governments you know if you can if you can send the cia out to do something in pakistan or in another country and it's not done by the official foreign policy then you can get away with doing things and then it not be blamed on the state itself whereas um, if you if you were to do it via the state there's that degree of accountability and america being like a suit the, well, the global superpower it has its tentacles as we know in in many lands if not all lands and therefore having this way of going, well, that wasn't us, that was, you know, other powers, it, it allows them not to be accountable for some of their actions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, take Operation Gladio. Operation mm -hmm. Gladio is, was actually exposed uh, at a very high level. The, uh, there was an Italian judge in 1990 who ordered an investigation into Operation Gladio. It was discussed in Parliament. Um, there was a documentary made about it. And Operation Gladio was a um, CIA-backed uh, armed organizations in Europe which were carrying out uh, terrorist attacks on civilian targets. And then the Red Brigade, uh, the communist equivalent of ISIS or Al-Qaeda, they would come out and take responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. So these activities and these attacks um, in the 60s and the 70s, uh, and I think even in the 50s, uh, were all geared towards weakening the uh, pop popularity of uh, communist or socialist parties in Europe, particularly in those countries where there were strong socialist tendencies, such as in Spain or Italy or Greece. And, um, and, it, be and it became, um, it was a full-blown investigation and it, and it got uncovered, but you never hear about it. Hear about and it. The, because the same powers that control these forces, that control the media, you, you know, they won't give you, um, won't give any coverage to it. Yeah. And now we know there's Operation Gladio B. And Operation Gladio B, you know, was on, uh, was actually reported by an insider at the FBI, mm. by a lady who discovered this, that Operation Gladio was now actually using Muslims to carry out the same role in order to further the same political objectives in the war on Islam as they had in the war on communism previously. But it's not getting too much coverage at the moment. And there's no uh, state or entity that actually will pursue it like the Italian government did uh, in 1990 uh, in order to blow its cover at an official level. So it's left to individuals and organizations to do so. Yeah, and this is what's sad, really, um, is that the idea, the notion is that let's, ha let's ex um, talk about Islamic 
extremism, but actually how a lot of these things are facilitated on the ground in, so, in, some, in various countries, it, people don't actually, especially Muslims as well, you don't find regularly Muslims discussing, you know, how these are actually facilitated by Western intelligence agencies. Um, on that note, then, just a quick question to Madassa. What about, you know, we're talking about deep state, um, which, and if we're saying that they're not these shadowy characters that live in the background that we don't know about, what are some of those institutions? Certainly in America, because there's a fair few of them, I think it's, it's worth mentioning some of those institutions. And uh, thanks. I mean, I think there are a number of institutions that kind of like do play this role of the deep state. The other thing is, when we talk about the word deep state, we are talking about, you know, structures and institutions and people that are so deeply involved and ingrained within the entire you know, fabric of that state that they are able to control. And one of the points that you stated and mentioned was they can get away. They can only get away because it's done at the state level, which is almost like it's an official policy, right? Which gives them the legitimacy because the deep state uses the government as a tool to execute its instructions legitimately so that's another key point to kind of bear in mind in terms of like who are these shadowy forces? How ingrained are they? I mean, it's a lot of you know the intellectuals, politicians within the uh, legislative system, as well as um, like you mentioned, the uh, uh, intelligence agencies, um, the army, military, yeah. as well as you know various different corporation uh, corporations. The other uh, what about um, the media? What about the media nowadays? Because they obviously have a very big role and maybe even that role of media is changing in the past people talked about you know newspapers and and tv news and rupert murdoch and some of these you know some of what he owns but nowadays you're seeing the likes of social media and and your zuckerbergs and your googles your apples all of these these guys have serious serious influence as we saw when they obviously banned um, trump's twitter accounts and things like that if they have this degree of influence how much how linked are they to the deep state? They're very much so linked. I mean, they might sit on the uh, outskirts or might be part of the system or operating within the government, but they are very influential people. That's what you have to recognise because they do fund a lot of the campaigns and the campaigns and also various other uh, elements. Uh, it's that financial power and the pressure uh, capability that they have at their disposal, which they utilise to bring in presidents, remove presidents, mm -hmm. and shape the society in their own view. So for example, you'll have pressure groups that provide electoral support. They provide campaign funds and information to committee members on what they should and shouldn't be doing. Then you also have you know, uh, them also being ingrained within the congressional side of things. So they provide staff and other areas of the government with funding and funding to various different departments. And also the contracts from uh, you know, the corporate, uh, corporate world to these um, pressure groups. Um, so they are very, uh, very well uh, integrated. And like you mentioned, I mean, it is across the board. So in terms of the media, there'll be think tanks that will be shaping policies. There'll be you know, various different you know, corporations such as the Rand Organization, the Carnegie Endowment Institution, etc. So, and it will also be you know, retired professionals that have a huge influence within the military, the intelligence agency, as well as the, uh, as the government, because they are highly recognized and respected. So they'll have a serious level of clout uh, and finances behind them to influence the decision in their favor. And this is one of the things that Trump has been highlighting. And like we said at the start, 
Edward Snowden also pointed this out, and he said, look, the deep state is not just the uh, intelligence agency, it's really basically referring to those career uh, bureaucracy of uh, government and established people that have been there for a very, very long time. Uh, and it was also something that Trump was heavily involved in trying to get rid of, because he recognised that these people had been in position and in power behind the scenes for such a very long time that if someone new came in, uh, then he wasn't even as influential as them, even though if he carried the title of uh, a president or prime minister or whatever. So I think, yeah, yeah, and I think it's important to, uh, you know, to uh, say from the outset that the, the deep state that we're describing here and that you mentioned as all these institutions, the think tanks, the bureaucrats, the technology companies, the corporations, the financiers, the uh, uh, billionaires are linked to the media. These are people who actually are the ones who are shaping uh, domestic and foreign policy. And I think that's what, you know, um, um, we need to note. The purpose of talking about the deep state is who actually is the one who's driving domestic policy and foreign policy? Who's the one who is choosing who will be the president of the U.S.? Because the president of the U.S. is nothing but a front man for the deep state. And he is implementing whatever um, the role for which he has been drafted in. So, um, so, the, so Donald Trump was brought in specifically to serve certain objectives uh, by the deep state. Once the, the deep state has served that objective, once he served that objective, um, and now he's removed, and we saw he tried to rebel against it and take on the deep state using his popular support, because he does have a, a massive popular support. He got 75 million votes or so, which he tried to mobilize. Um, but we saw how the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, how they both unified their stance against Trump, which showed that this was actually now the deep state versus Trump. And very rarely does a president turn against the deep state because he knows that um, he's only in power because of the uh, deep state. And if you consider how even Trump came to power, Trump was like the least likely candidate. It was, it was like a joke that he was even running as a contender you know, for president in the Republican Party. But not only did he, uh, did he become the nominee for the Republican Party for the presidential candidate, he actually won the election. And the biggest indicator that um, it is actually the deep state who put him there um, apart from the fact, I mean, how do you see the deep state was like, it's like a, the US constitution was actually a compromise, um, which uh, between uh, the Confederates in the South and was a product of the American Civil War. And it was a means by which providing this kind of control uh, in the US to make sure that this deep state oversaw the situation in a way where somebody like Trump couldn't lead masses separately, have an independent policy, lead to the breakup of the US, uh, and, and so on. And what um, actually, so when Trump was actually uh, brought into power, and, um, and this was actually detailed by Michael Wolf in his uh, memoirs, uh, in his book, Fire and Fury, in which um, he's narrating an incident where the former Fox uh, News uh, chief executive officer, Roger Eugene Ailis and Steve Bannon, they're having a conversation. And, uh, and Roger is asking Steve Bannon, does he get it? He's asking about uh, Trump, the reason why we need, we're bringing him to power, does he get it? 
And, and Michael Wolff makes it clear that the question was directed, does he understand that he's being brought in to implement a populist America first right-wig agenda for the moment, for this moment as we need him? And Steve Bannon, who was his chief strategist, who he fired as well as part of his rebellion against the deep state later, and he, he replies back to um, uh, Ailis and says to him, yeah, he gets it. And then he also narrates in the same book of how uh, Bannon says, don't worry, the first thing we're going to do with the Trump agenda, and, he's, and, and to quote, he says, day one, we're moving the US embassy to Jerusalem mm -hmm. and Netanyahu's all in, Sheldon. So he's, 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 so he's calling out someone called Sheldon. And Sheldon Adelson, the guy he's talking about, is a casino billionaire capitalist, part of the deep state, who's a far-right pro-Israeli um, uh, defender and Trump supporter, uh, as Michael Wolff is actually pointing out in his own book. And he says, yeah, he's all in. We know where we're heading on this. And again, you know, uh, he's asking, does Donald know this? Uh, um, uh, Ailes is asking. And, and, and Michael Wolff says, yeah, Bannon uh, smiles back uh, with a wink to say, don't worry, he's all in. We've got him. So you see, uh, the fire and fury is clearly spelling out the discussions that are taking place, you know, the conversations that are taking place uh, by the chief executive officer, former uh, chief CEO of Fox News, you know, this uh, billionaire, uh, casino billionaire, uh, uh, Sheldon. He's narrating a conversation asking, does Trump know what the agenda is in? Is he on board our agenda, i.e. the reason by which we're going to make him president. And he said, and they confirmed he's all in and they're laying out the agenda. And the two things which come out in that book are um, the agenda with regards to Jerusalem and the deal of the century and the domestic agenda of America first mm. uh, and promoting the right-wing populist uh, course, which is all what happened under Trump, of course. Yeah. So I think that highlights a couple of things for me is that you've clearly got, obviously these people who are deciding these policies and certainly before coming into, into becoming president, Trump had certain criterias and objectives to fulfill. But we, we're now seeing that obviously Biden coming in has got slightly different objectives. Is this a convenient point to mention that whilst, you know, there may be different people with different ideas of how to move forward, both foreign policy wise and internally, but, are the, but they're desires are common based on their ideology of capitalism is that where they kind of come together and the deep state forms a lot of its policies because at the end of the day their criteria is capitalism well i believe that trump was uh, well trump, every president uh, is bought in and every party is bought in to serve the next phase of the program which is being directed by the deep state so if we'd see the transition even from Obama to Trump and pr uh, prior to that from, um, from George Bush to Trump. So Obama was brought in in order to change America's image in the world after mm -hmm. America's invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. America in international polls was showing, was coming out as in public opinion as the biggest threat to international peace. So Barack Obama was brought in and he gave his first speech in um, uh, Istanbul or Cairo, I believe, and it was one of the Muslim cities, I think it was Cairo, addressing the Muslim world. So it was to now uh, re bring in the Muslim public opinion and, and the population back under um, uh, the deceptive 
control that the US is actually your friend, despite the fact what we've just done in um, Iraq and what we've done in Afghanistan and how they're responsible for the most atrocious crimes that come out, what happened in Fallujah, uh, what happened in Abu Ghraib prison. Um, the, the, we don't, just a fraction of what was reported uh, and, and then what start coming out later on in terms of use of chemical weapons, depleted uranium, the huge atrocities, Blackwater, these guys recently who have been pardoned by Trump for carrying out the massacre in the central square in Baghdad or civilians. So and that was just the tip of the iceberg. So under Obama, it was all about the next phase of the agenda. And that phase of the agenda was now pacifying Muslims to make them believe that this guy with the name Hussein in the middle of it means that America, you know, is back uh, back on your side. And it so was your going to like Muslims. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and then you found out later on, actually, under Obama, there was a bomb being dropped on Muslims somewhere every 20 minutes for the full duration of his eight year presidency. So the same people are now celebrating Biden's presidency, presidency should take note that he was a vice president under Obama when this yeah. was happening. And it's and already started, isn't it? We're already seeing different foreign policy decisions kind of on the, the front foot again within days of Biden coming into charge. Maybe, so let me just a quick question for Madassa then. Um, so yes, there was, it was clear that when Obama came in that they wanted to improve the perception of America and the outward image. Clearly, the opposite happened when um, Trump then came in because a lot of people see him as a, a loose cannon and are very negative towards America now because of this his you know his term. But do do America really even care about their outward image? Because if they wanted to improve it so much under Obama, and then were willing to bring Trump in, into charge and then ruin it again, you know how much do they even really care about that? Well, I, don't, I mean, the thing is, like with America, it has certain set of objectives. It's an ideological nation, and it carries the torch for um, um, capitalism across the world. In terms of like, does it really care about its image? It depends on you know the policy and the initiatives that it is trying to execute across the world. In regards to why did they bring in Donald Trump? I genuinely do believe uh, they brought uh, Donald Trump to implement American First policy mm. and get some hard-hitting decisions out there. Uh, and raised, you know, the stakes where China is concerned, as well as the Middle East is concerned, and use an iron-fisted approach. Similarly to how, you know, the dictation within the Middle East were, literally, there was no compromise, we need to do it this way. Whereas Obama, under Obama, it was very much a collaborative approach. And at the same time, it was an extortionist model. So the way Donald Trump extorted almost over 400 something billion from the Saudis, uh, as well as various sort of Gulf countries and the Muslim world. And he was very dictatorial. So they needed that approach who executed terms and conditions based on a business model. And that's what Donald Trump gives you. He gives you that direct talking approach. Uh, we know that from uh, the apprentices days when he kickstarted that, how he was direct, as well as uh, you know, his business background. So he was there to execute and get the deal over the line. And that was the reason why he was brought in. At the same time, he uh, reduced tax rates and gave favourable benefits to the corporations uh, that funded his campaign. But at the same time, his policies also kind of like isolated people at home and abroad, and it became very divisive. So we see the situation under him in regards to uh, the Black, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter movement and also, you know, the increase of the far right. Uh, um, so it was creating a segregated society. So he was brought in to do something and then they recognised actually, do you know what, 
We need to unite. And this is exactly what Biden said, because his speech was all about uniting, uh, etc. And at the same time, the other reason why I personally believe Trump was brought in was because, like Maz pointed out, he really never had any credentials in uh, government, in politics, prior to obviously him entering the uh, electoral race. And also, sorry, you were going to say... No, I just can say, does that mean he's been, like Trump's therefore been a bit of a failed experiment then? Is he that was really a trial and error kind, yeah. of, kind of person. And like you said, failed experiment, because if he did fail, then it was Donald Trump's fault. If he did succeed and they wanted to get rid of him, then again, it was Donald Trump. And he made these maverick moves purely because of, of his lack of experience in politics. And that was one of the things that Biden was constantly highlighting during the uh, um, standoff uh, during the election. Because yeah, I'm not. Was... I'm not actually sure. Um, um, Donald Trump was a failed experiment. Yeah. Actually, I think they achieved all the objectives for which they needed him to achieve. So, domestically, you mentioned the uh, changes in tax policies, his attempt to roll back Obamacare and cheap healthcare domestically. Um, so the uh, so all the policies that he promoted in you know uh, internally, um, of which. Uh, now are being brushed off so, and all the documentaries which are being made now and all the reporting that's being done now is all presenting it as Trump's policies you know so Trump was responsible not America was responsible so if you think about what Trump did Trump was brought in actually to shore up the American economy and to reposition and consolidate its competitive position even against its own allies against its uh, own allies so as soon as Trump was brought in he starts slapping on uh, uh, trade tariffs uh, uh, on Canada uh, and on Mexico, who are part of the North American Free Trade Association. He renego renegotiated the terms to get better and more favorable terms uh, for America and hitting his own allies in the process. He did exactly the same with the European Union, uh, slapped on trade tariffs on aluminium and other um, um, uh, uh, exports uh, from the EU. And, you know, and rile the feathers uh, with the EU uh, and, and the European partners. At the same time, Trump, um, he was uh, attacking the Europeans with regards to their stance on NATO, in particular France and Germany. He really did slow down uh, the French vision for um, having an independent European army when Macron called uh, NATO brain dead. Um, Donald Trump called the Germans uh, captives of Russia because of their energy dependence upon Russia. So Trump was very harsh. And if you look to see how we increase the NATO spending from the European Union using that harsh approach, but now it's presented to the Europeans, it wasn't America, it was Trump, even though it was actually the deep state who was using Trump or fronting this entire policy uh, with Trump. But the but that's the message they want to uh, um, uh, to give to them. So now that Biden's coming to uh, power, you're not going to really find much of a reversal uh, of these policies. Yeah. But, and what Biden has reversed are very insignificant things. And the only two worth mentioning are the Mexican wall, yeah. uh, the Mexican wall and the, and the Muslim ban. Yeah. So hardly international policy, you know, breaking uh, decisions there, but the rest of the decisions are still in place. But the message is, don't worry, that was Trump. Uh, the world can now rest at ease. This crazy guy's gone. Okay, the guy's gone. All his policies are still in place. Are they going to relocate the U.S. embassy from Jerusalem back to Tel Aviv? 
And the answer is no. All those new settlements that were initiated as part of the deal of the century for this one state solution, are they going to be rolled back? And the answer is no. And so, uh, so the one state solution actually uh, under and what they're going to progress under Biden is only going to be a slight modification of what they introduced of the deal of the century, which we've discussed before. And, uh, and again, the Muslims are going to be made to believe, don't worry, Biden has made stuff a bit better. Ian, and, and, and it'll all be a perception and part of the uh, uh, deception uh, in that respect. I suppose the reason for my questioning of whether the deep state felt that um, uh, the, um, Trump was a failed experiment is obviously the impeachment, the second impeachment, and whether, you know, the fact that they're following through with that, even though he's no longer a president, whether that has anything to do with them preventing him from running for a, you know, running for president again in the future. So whether they're thinking, well, we tried this, you know, we somewhat alienated ourselves with the rest of the world, you know, obviously like the Paris Accord and things like that, um, maybe now back to the style that we kind of had with Obama and it was somewhat failed because we don't want Trump back in charge again. But I think I equally agree with some of what you were saying in that, you know, clearly if they don't undo some of the policies that Trump put in place, then he served a very ideal objective for them. And they never do. So if you look at America historically, transition from one president to the next, it's a natural continuation of the previous policy with just some slight tweaking here, here or there. There's never been anything significant or major, which was a major departure from the trajectory that this deep state has already laid out because domestic policy and foreign policy is being, you know, the trajectory for both of them are actually being directed by the deep state. And so very rarely do you find, in fact, never do you find a significant departure from that trajectory, just some slight tweaks and modifications uh, as and when required. Madassa, you were saying earlier, you mentioned like Saudi Arabia and stuff like that, and how obviously Trump had, you know, got managed to extort them out of, of money and things like that. But, you know, countries like that, especially when we're talking about a Muslim country, we've, we've mentioned America quite a lot. But what about these other countries? Do they have a, a deep state? Is this, you know, a phenomena that exists in most nations or does it depend on whether that nation is how kind of independent they are? You know, what is... I think every single nation has an element of the deep state similarly to America, when every nation has a framework by which they operate and you do have the influentials uh, that do control, you know, various different operators. We saw that with Turkey. Uh, when they tried to do a coup against uh, Erdogan, and then he went about, you know, trying to cleanse the entire state apparatus of these various different, you know, shadowy forces that were trying to overthrow him. We also see this across the Muslim world. So, for example, when they wanted to overthrow, and they did, when they overthrew uh, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, Ben Ali, etc. It wasn't just the individual that they were over overthrowing. They effectively overthrew the entire system that supported and enabled that person to stay in power. So various different organizations do that, do have that. Even like Bin Salman, for example, one of the first things that he did when he came into power, or shortly after when he came into power, was he got rid of the various influential people who had deep pockets amongst his own family. Um, and he locked them up. And then he started to do the same thing with the scholars and the intelligence agency and within the armed forces. Um, so it's no different. And that's why also a lot of the people uh, lay a claim to Pakistan to say it's run by the military and the ISI. 
again, intelligence agencies uh, and the military. So various different countries do have their deep states, I believe, but it takes a different face in each country. And the other thing that you have to recognize is ultimately all of these nations do kind of like play tutelage to capitalism. So they are under the umbrella of capitalism. They don't implement Islam and they don't implement communism. Um, and hence it gives, you know, the fertile ground for a deep state to be established because within the capitalist ideology, it's all about experiency and ensuring, you know, your purpose, uh, you are able to implement or go after your own personal initiatives and desires. Whereas in Islam, it's completely the opposite because everything is based on what? The Quran and the Sunnah and sovereignty belongs to the creator. So that's why even if you do have your own personal interests or agendas that you do want to push and put forward and get have executed, in the Islamic world, that's not really possible because everything is mandated and dictated by Islam, i.e. the Quran and the Sunnah and the creator. Whereas in the capitalist creed, it's the complete opposite. It gives you an opportunity to say, forget what anyone else says. If you have the necessary mechanisms to impose your will and you want to execute something, and then you've got an opportunity to do that. As long as you've got the required resources or you can acquire those resources to make those uh, uh, changes. And yeah, you that's know, exactly like uh, what they did with Trump and Biden. So when they brought Trump into power, um, it wasn't just Trump coming into power based on his campaign. It was literally the people that funding. And when you stated at the start, does a media, is media part of this deep state? And absolutely, because it was the media that was giving him the right coverage and publicity to be able to reach the masses who could then vote, bring him into power. And again, with Biden, it was exactly the same. So when this incident happened with Capitol Hill, the very media that was giving Trump the coverage and the platform to be able to communicate certain messages, even though they, they were inflammatory and pro provocative before, they banned him. Not only did they ban him, they removed his account across various other platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, etc. Even though he did try to use another platform, even again, they clamped down. So you can see how the whole framework was designed to take my power and that's how they operate. And every single organization uh, has these kind of like apparatus or frameworks in place um, using the deep state mechanisms to curtail and push a particular viewpoint and narrative across their masses. Uh, in other countries, it might be classified as uh, authoritarianism. A lot they do kind of like suppress the freedoms uh, of people because it, the media is not free, etc. But in the US, it's a bit more covert, uh, uh, given given the impression that actually, you know, what you do have the freedom to do X, Y, and Z, and we will kind of like you know fulfill your obligations uh, in terms of like you brought us into power, so therefore we will execute what you say. But it doesn't really play out as that and hence why they always like i said at the start try try to coin the deep state as something which is a, a, a propaganda and a conspiracy theory yeah it's part of this facade that you know or that there is something called democracy it's you know it's all geared towards making their people believe here in the west that they actually choose their rulers and we actually see it's not it's the deep state that chooses the rulers and uh, and they and they are the ones who influence and direct public opinion. If you look to see what they did to Jeremy Corbyn here in the UK, they totally destroyed him through falsified and fabricated claims and allegations. They were using even 
people within the Labour Party uh, against Corbyn uh, and his left-wing agenda. The deep state will never, ever allow someone like Corbyn to come to power. And Corbyn temporarily took charge of the Labour Party due to popular support within the party, the expanded membership. But his own MPs and uh, people within the Labour Party, they were also linked to the uh, deep state. They just didn't allow it. But anyway, so that's uh, so it's very clear that, it, uh, and, and what you mentioned in terms of the same platforms which were um, which were giving um, uh, Donald Trump the opportunity to air his views in the first place, who turned against him. In fact, Donald Trump's own son, uh, Donald Trump Jr., he tweeted that uh, after his dad's account was banned from uh, um, uh, Twitter, he said, it's a technology company who are deciding freedom of speech. And he was damn right about that. They were calling out the deep state that actually they're the ones who determine when you can talk and when you can't talk and under what conditions you can talk. So, and the fact that Trump tried to take on uh, the deep state and he failed uh, to the, and those uh, Republicans who stood by Trump um, all the CEOs and corpor uh, corporations and the wealthy financiers and donators to these Republicans, they all announced that they were going to withdraw their funding to these people for standing uh, by Trump in the first place. So they totally did demolish uh, uh, Trump. And with regards to Amendment 25 and still going after him, it's for the purpose to make sure that he has no political future. So he cannot have because Trump is, uh, um, he's unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So he, he's got using his finances and using his connections and popularity. They don't trust him that he could be further trying to cause trouble for the deep state. So they want to make sure that this guy can never run for power again. He's totally discredited. So they, and they've probably got a lot more stuff on him with his link to Jeffrey Epstein and all that kind of stuff, which they can use against him if they really uh, want to do that. But you know, something else which I think is worth uh, looking at is the foreign policy in the Muslim world, which uh, the deep state or America conducted via Trump uh, included, okay, they withdrew from uh, the, uh, um, um, the UN uh, Paris Climate uh, Accord, uh, for, sorry, from the Paris Climate uh, Accord. They withdrew from the UN World Health Organization, which they will now, you know, uh, um, um, rejoin under Biden to give the impression that America's back. But the things that they won't change um, are the ones which are really worth looking at. So we already mentioned deal of the century. Remember Donald Trump? He also recognized Israel's sovereignty over the Sinai. Is Biden going to reverse that? And the answer is no. Um, uh, under Trump, they also really went after Iran after America used Iran uh, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, and in Lebanon as to what was then the Shia Crescent project and strategy. Now under Trump, the Iran having served that role, they needed to roll back that role. And how did they roll back that role? They assassinated Qasim Soleimani last year. They uh, start uh, arranging demonstrations against uh, the Iranian presence um, uh, in Iraq to the point where the Iranian consulates were now under siege. They start creating uh, this atmosphere to really, uh, and, and when they withdrew from the Iranian nuclear deal, it was within the context of curtailing Iran now that they've served their purpose because America's now on its um, next phase of the policy in the Middle East, which is relying on Arab nationalism. 
and, um, and normalization between the Arab regimes and Israel, uh, with Iran being the pariah. So all of this was actually progressed uh, uh, under Trump uh, quite uh, effectively. And also the, um, the fallout between America and uh, Turkey mm. uh, under Trump. So America actually uh, um, really went head on with Turkey as Turkey broke uh, uh, ranks um, from the American orbit after the failed coup in 2016. Um, under Trump, there was huge armament of the YPG and the independent uh, movement to break off, um, uh, to establish an independent Kurdish state on the border with Turkey. But now under Biden, uh, they'll be looking to restore relations in order to bring Turkey back into it. So it'll be seen as a Trump policy rather than an American policy. So I think from a Muslim's perspective, the foreign policy of how they are playing games with Muslims uh, and then trying to use a reversal of the Muslim ban to try to change the image. Muslims need to dig beneath the surface to actually understand of, that, of what the American policy is. And the American policy is linked to the Greater Middle East uh, Initiative. The Greater Middle East Initiative has a, a declared objective, which is all about consolidating America's grip of the, of the region for one single purpose. And that single purpose is to advance their ideology and to, and more importantly, to uh, eliminate the appeal of what they call Islamic extremism, i.e. Islam as an ideology and a political system in that region. So Muslims need to be aware of that, that this is what the new administration um, representing the deep state will also be pushing and peddling um, and, and, and it's certainly not a Trump or a Bush policy. It's just how they play games with it and we need to be aware of that. Yeah, and again, that was that was the main reason for probably covering this topic in the first place is that some people might be listening and, and watching thinking, okay, so what? how does this affect me as an individual, as a Muslim? But it's very important that we understand you know, who are the policy makers, who are the decision makers, what are their objectives, and that it's not limited to who the president is at the time. The styles may change based on the president that's there, but the overall objective and what their interests are, often those are the ones we need to be a little bit more aware of. Um, moving on then a little bit, guys. So obviously we talked about this deep state, we've talked about it in terms of maybe America and some of the more, you know, kind of mainstream or more powerful capitalist nations. Um, you mentioned that obviously other countries, even Muslim ones, have a, a degree of a deep state, you know, in order to influence. Um, but what about from an Islamic perspective? You know, under Islam, I know this might be a bit of a flawed question, maybe, because today we don't see, you know, what we see are nation states. We see nation states on Muslim land that don't implement Islam. But you know, when if Islam was implemented, and inshallah, when it is implemented in future, this concept of an of a deep state does it exist from an Islamic perspective at all? You know, before you address that topic, I think it's important just to highlight that the deep states in our countries, mm. bar one or two countries um, like Turkey, for example, the deep states in our countries are actually controlled by our enemy. So the deep state in Saudi, in Egypt, in Pakistan, the institutions of these countries are directly controlled by our enemy and they steer it. So mm. even Mohammed uh, uh, Badai, uh, the general secretary of the Muslim Brotherhood, I believe he was, on the eve of Morsi's uh, um, um, deposal, um, 
uh, or his deposing before he was overthrown by uh, Sisi, the uh, American agent. Um, Mohammed Baradai, he made um, Badai, uh, rather, or Badai, however you pronounce the name, he made it very clear at the uh, in his speech he gave to the Rabba Square um, demonstrators where they were holding a sit in to try to prevent uh, a military coup while Morsi was still in power. He said, Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you who's running this country. It's Anne Patterson. Mm. Anne Patterson was the US ambassador. The US embassy in Cairo is controlling the deep state of Egypt, and they're the ones who gave Morsi a chance to become part of the project of secularization of the Greater Middle East Initiative um, by becoming part of the, uh, by uh, sharing uh, government with the secularists as they had done in Tunisia, or they were gonna just overthrow them using the military. So the deep state represented by the military, the media, the industry, the finance, and the judiciary, all of those were controlled by America. And Mohammed Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood failed to recognize and take on the deep state, reshape that and take control of the deep state. Mohammed Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood naively thought that they could run the government of Egypt and try to have some independence from America while maintaining the deep state of America and not confronting and challenging it. And that's the same in Pakistan. You might have Imran Khan as a prime minister, but the real powers that sit in Pakistan are, um, are the people who run the military, who run the media, who run the judiciary, mm. who run the economy and the industry. And all of these people are directly steered and controlled by America. So it doesn't matter who the prime minister is and how great his intentions might be. Turkey is an exception where in recent times, uh, Erdogan actually did clean out the deep state by taking control of the media. So you can see the kind of uh, uh, stuff which comes out from Turkish media and the American influence was diminished there. Mm -hmm. uh, Erdogan, after the coup, cleaned out the military and all the senior positions which America was control controlling there, linked to Petelo Gulen uh, and the Kemali secularists. Mm -hmm. Same with the judiciary, so all the senior judges, um, um, uh, who were linked to the old order, linked to uh, the deep state controlled by America. They've been cleaned out. Thousands, One area, thousands of people lost, you know, were removed from positions of influence. Exactly. And that's exactly what Mohammed Mursi should have done in Egypt. Or if you really wanted to liberate uh, the deep state from America, the only, and just to add finally, the only part of the deep state, which I think, or I believe that uh, Erdogan hasn't cleaned out is the finance and the industrial sector. And that's the reason why America is able to hit the uh, Turkish lira the way it does. That's the, uh, so they're able to still manipulate the economy um, because of their influence or presence in the deep state, um, because they haven't been able to liberate from that. And, uh, and that part of the deep state, the economy, uh, still continues large parts of its trade uh, with uh, Israel as well, which uh, they don't have a huge amount of control over. So a lot of the time people will call out Turkey over its uh, uh, commercial links with Israel. But, uh, uh, but I believe a lot of those are linked to the fact that um, um, Erdogan hasn't taken full control of the deep state. I'm not saying that he would cease trading with Israel. And, you know, and he's certainly not the uh, Halif who's... Uh, who's going to carry out the action that we require at the moment. Um, 
but it's something which is worth uh, noting or observing. Yeah, he certainly is aware that the, you know, there are powers that are there that wouldn't allow him to carry out some of the actions that he went on to do later on, certainly. Um, you know, just as a quick side point, um, I, I was observing, you know, on our Voice of the Ummah kind of Facebook page and things, we have put a few articles and things out about the deep state. And quite sadly, um, some of the people who have been kind of coming back and saying, oh, no, you know, why do you always blame that? Or why do you think that America has influence in that region? It's not, <clears throat> it's not about a deep state. Ironically, based on what you just said, you know, about Ann Patterson and about the Muslim Brotherhood, ironically, a brother who is actually, you know, very active on the Dower and who's a good activist was of the opinion that uh, America had no influence over, over Egypt. And especially at the time of the Muslim Brotherhood. And I, I remember observing this discussion and thinking, this is a big issue for the Ummah. If we do not realize when the, the enemies of Islam are so easily able to um, dupe the masses and not just any of the masses, people who are apparently activists and people who follow the news, if they aren't aware that of what America was able to do in, in Egypt, then you know we've got a bit of a problem. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, who chooses the next uh, king of Saudi Arabia? Mm. Who decide who backed Mohammed bin Salman to come to power and lock up all his cousins and put them under house arrest and consolidate his position? Who's going to get rid of him? You know, when they decide they don't need him anymore. Mm. You know, uh, it's going to be the Americans. So, so Mohammed bin Zayed and. And then you have all these people who are serving these different elements of the deep state. So same in Pakistan, military takes over as and when required, because the real power is always uh, uh, elsewhere. So yeah, some very good point. Muslims need to realize our deep states, the apparatus or the institutions which constitute the deep state in our countries, in, the, in, in virtually all the countries, they're controlled by our enemies. Exactly. So Mudassa, you was going to say, you know, this second question that I had, or this other question that I had, um, about you know a deep state existing when you know under an Islamic civilization, a proper Islamic government, government, not these propped up nation state governments where we know the deep state is is controlled elsewhere. Would the same notion exist under Islam? You know, or, or... as I said before, Islam is different, completely different. I mean, it takes its rules and is implementation from the Quran and Sunnah, like I said before, and it's not going to be like the deep state is seen in the Western world or under capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, it's a system that is built purely where sovereignty belongs to the creator, right? And we take the rules as mandated and ordered by the creator for his creation, not as opposed to, you know, the creation creating its rules and policies and procedures to then implement across people and across the world. So that's a fundamental difference. And Islam doesn't give you the avenue by which where if you have your own personal preferences according to your own whims and desires to be enforced on others, because in Islam, there are no whims and desires where the ruling is concerned, right? And Islam has its own uh, you know, structure and apparatus as well. Um, which emanate from the uh, Islamic Akira. So would it exist? I mean, there will be pressure groups. There will be various institutions that will keep people honest. Uh, we saw that historically as well. Uh, there will be obviously schools of thought um, uh, who will be influencing you know, the Khalifs, etc. But it wouldn't be in the same light as what you see today. Mm. Um, and in regards to, you know, one of the, I just want to also make a point I wanted to make was when... 
we do publish a lot of the material in regards to, to the deep state. What you have to recognize is who actually controls the funding for the Egyptian army, for the Pakistani military, etc., and who finances these people, who defines their curriculum. When we talk about the institutions, the IMF, the World Bank, the, they are one of the institutions of various different you know, countries like America have at their disposal through the deep state, uh, where they have people infiltrated across these organizations that do define and dictate who's gonna come into power in the Muslim world and how they can leverage their uh, position to be able to dictate how the policies uh, need to be executed in a foreign land as well. Yeah, so I've heard quite often when the IMF gives loans out to especially kind of Muslim countries, um, those, what is it, I think they call stru structural adjustment policies. Yeah. Basically tell the other nations that, oh, okay, this is for your own good, but you need to carry out these, these things in your uh, um, academia, you need to teach women, you know, about equality, you need to propagate certain pluralistic and liberalist ideas within your masses as part of taking these loans from the IMF. Absolutely. You know, also to add to the question of uh, uh, would there be a deep state in the Islamic State? And, um, uh, and I would agree, there certainly would be interest groups and pressure groups, but they wouldn't be hidden. You know, they would, you know, they'd, they'd be open because we have no hidden agenda and our structure is different. You see, one of the principles on which the Islamic State is built is uh, authority belongs to the Ummah. And authority genuinely belongs to the Ummah and sovereignty belongs to Sharia. So if the authority belongs to the Ummah, then we have something called the people of power and contract. Mm -hmm. And the people of power and contract, the Ahl al-Hal wal aqad they are the people who are representative of the masses, and, and they're the ones who appoint the Khalif on behalf of the people. And the condition is they have to be representatives of the masses. Um, they're the ones who will uh, uh, account the Khalif um, um, uh, on behalf of the masses, um, they're the ones that keep the Islamic State uh, presence. They're the ones on which, it, well, this is the popular base uh, through which the Islamic State is established, through which the Islamic State is then sustained and maintained. And then the Islamic State then it, um, exerts and imposes uh, its policy on the international uh, situation. So, so when we're talking about the deep state, the deep state will be very transparent in the Islamic state because there's no hidden agenda. Mm -hmm. You see the deep state here in, uh, in, in Europe or in America is controlled by parties who have personal interests, financial interests, you know, and it's all linked to their whims and desires, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's control. But for the Muslims, the... There is no hidden uh, objective. There's no hidden agenda. Our objective is very clear and open that we are here as an ummah to continue the mission, the mission of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in conveying this message to the rest of the world to save mankind from the oppression of man-made rules and systems and the deep states of the, of the Western America in particular, to, to liberate mankind from the uh, oppression uh, inflicted by these states and to liberate them in this life and to save them from the fire in the next life so this was the mission of the messenger messenger so the ummah as a whole ha has this openly declared uh, um, mission and 
uh, and historically, you know, when the Muslims were the leading nation for the for over 1000 years, we never had ambitions or desires for people's money, for wealth of other nations. We never colonized, looted, exploited, enslaved, and did everything that the colonialists uh, have done and are still doing. So we have a very open agenda, which is linked to propagating the message of Islam. Therefore, the role of the uh, of the Ummah via its representatives is to ensure that Islam is being implemented and justice is being delivered correctly through Islam domestically and Islam is being carried to the rest of the world via jihad in order to liberate mankind and the removal of the obstacles from which people which are stopping uh, mankind at large of really experiencing and seeing what Islam for what it really is so the so the role you know of the apparatuses you know, would be very open and transparent. So there was, and, and that's the reason why there will, there's no need for this hidden secretive uh, institutions which operate in the background because, because of the fact it's a very different uh, objective. And, 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 and finally on that point, it really shows that when we say authority belongs to the people, it truly manifests itself only in the Islamic state. Here in the West, they claim that authority belongs to the people and they're the ones who are really in charge. It's the biggest hoax, as we've been discussing. They're the deep state, which is shrouded and hidden behind these bodies and these institutions or the, or the president and the White House. Uh, but they're the ones that really dictate it. In the Islamic State, that wouldn't exist. You know, it would be open and, and honest. And, and finally, the Khalif, whatever um, uh, opinion the Islamic leader he adopts in relation to implementing Islam and carrying Islam to the rest of the world, there will be no secret body of people with, who have more power who can override that, you know, and slap him down, as the deep state with Trump did with Trump. The Islamic uh, Khalif, his ruler, his decision is final, and the Muslims will obey him. It's only if he was to go outside the principles of Islam itself, outside the ideology itself, then the, the popular base through the people of power and protection, they will then um, uh, account the Khalif and remove him if necessary. And again, it will be an open and transparent process, you know, unlike, unlike what we've seen in America. And that was linked to my point earlier as well. So uh, I think it clarifies things for me, certainly, this, this idea that under capitalism, because democracy is a deception, then you, the, you have to somehow masquerade that deception. So the way to do that is you have this deep state who again have their own interests. If their interests were well known by the masses, in other words, if the masses outright knew what those decisions are, are for making the rich richer and the poor poorer, if the masses were openly aware that some of these wars that are carried out are not for you know, helping those other nations, but are actually for their own profit and for their own benefit, and, and for suppressing an alternative ideology such as Islam. And if the masses were aware, aware of that, they wouldn't um, be willing to go or stand behind these deceptive um, leaders in the first place. And I think in addition to that, that's why the leader or the president needs to be more of a figurehead under capitalism and democracy because it, that person then is easily shot down and is just used more as a puppet. Whereas under Islam, if I'm correct in highlighting this, under Islam, because you're not carrying out a deception, 
that leader represents the people. What that leader then decides is represented firstly by what the, the Ummah want, but more importantly, by the implementation of the Sharia, which is clear cut for everybody to see, rather than the what the deep state and what these Western and democratic, so-called democratic nations want are objectives which the common people on the ground often are not even aware of. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, we always talk about the, how they carry out their foreign policy through deceptive means to achieve their objectives. They carry out the same deception domestically and, and precisely for the reason that you mentioned. The whole ideology is based upon deception. This whole implementation is based upon uh, deception. Take democracy. Uh, like you said, it doesn't really exist. It's determined who will be in power and when they will be removed. They're, they're given two options, and those options are steered and uh, the masses are directed and steered towards the option which is required. Um, same with, say, pluralism. Pluralism uh, is a concept they'll say everyone has a right to organize their activity in order to express their opinion and secure their interests. But there's no such thing as pluralism, and the fact that they prohibit uh, Islamic organizations and parties from truly expressing Islam as a complete system of life, as an ideology. They brand them as extremists and terrorists and clamp down upon them. They did the same with the communists uh, back in the 50s under McCarthyism. Communists, you know, communists were being hunted down. They weren't allowed to have any roles in the, any position in the deep state. So anyone who was found to be a communist sympathizer who worked in the media or worked in any position by which they could influence public opinion and masses, there were trials for them, uh, McCarthy uh, trials, McCarthyism, it was known as this era. So they never practiced pluralism. They talk about freedom of speech. Again, it's only freedom of speech providing you're propagating their ideology. In Islam, everything's open and honest. So we don't claim pluralism. In Islam, non-Islamic movements and parties are prohibited. So we don't make a secret about it. We don't pretend that they're allowed and then use various means by which to clamp down upon them, not give them platforms uh, and to target them as they do in the West. We don't claim to have pluralism. Um, so everything in Islam is actually open, honest and transparent. And it's built upon the Islamic Aqidah and the Islamic Aqidah, which rationally is proven to be the right uh, Aqidah and we can discuss and debate it. And it's from the creator, and these are his rules. Their Akida is built upon compromise. Secularism is not built upon any uh, thought whatsoever, and it can be actually demolished intellectually so easily. Hence the reason why they have these safeguards in place in order to prevent the exposure of their system and their ideology, and the role of the deep state is to maintain that order and to not allow their own masses to see, actually, there is an alternative, there is a better way which would deliver them justice, which is Islam, you know. And again, and those are the key messages. I think there's some really good messages there for the listeners to, to take away, is that we do need to look at the underlying ideologies and the deception that we are seeing across the globe today and in order to suppress Islam and an alternative ideology which doesn't pretend to be these things it's upfront about what that it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's upfront that these this these systems are the perfect systems designed for mankind yet what we're seeing today is ways of making Islam look like it's this extremist you know 
backwards type of religion, whereas that's the objective. That's the objective of the deep state and maybe the people on the ground don't always appreciate that. But anyway, brothers, I think we've been talking for quite a while. Just to bring the, the podcast to a bit of a close, um, start off with Modi really first. Madassa, have you got any kind of final points to give to the listeners and the watchers? Just some messages maybe of, you know, what they can take away and what they should For me, the key thing is, like what we said at the start, just understand there is a notion of deep state and it doesn't really have, it's not a conspiracy uh, and it's not made out like it is in the sense that you do have the power to select a leader and bring him into power and also the recognition of the fact that whoever comes into power the deep state will always be there the constitution will always be there and it will be their interest that they are trying to implement across the world it will be the interest of the ummah and the muslims and they have very various different mechanisms to be able to control that and the only solution that can really address the issues of the ummah and the muslims is islam because it's create uh, created by the creator for the creation um, so I think it's these key points. And also, deep state is one of those political, you know, areas that people don't tend to uh, trespass into. And it's these kind of like, you know, political areas that the ummah needs to understand in order to be able to foil the plans and the plots of the kuffar. Uh, without really treading into the political territory of Islam, then you are almost blind, like the deep state is, i.e. it's like a shadowy, you know, uh, construct that sits behind the scenes without being transparent so you're almost playing into that so and also that's why there's a concerted effort to minimize or even remove the political element of islam from islam uh, and which we need to kind of like you know make sure that we fully grasp and take on board because politics is part of islam like the spiritual element is as well and we shouldn't kind of like see deep state as being a topic or an area that we should investigate and understand what the implication, the impact of the, that is on the Ummah and the Muslims at large. What about yourself, Master? Do you want to add anything else to that? Yeah, I think it is really important to Muslims to understand the concept of the deep state so they know who our adversary is. Mm. There's a, an international struggle taking place uh, between capitalism and Islam. Capitalism is represented by America as a leading nation with its allies. Their whole objective is to prevent the, uh, the arising of uh, a rival state, and that rival state is actually the Islamic State, because the only ideology which exists in the world, which can, which exists in reality, uh, is Islam. And after the death of communism, uh, Islam is the only remaining ideology. If Muslims don't understand the nature of this struggle and how the deep state is the apparatus which is actually directing this struggle, then it's not as we can't easily get deceived when they just change the mask that the deep state is wearing and executing their policies via now and again. So they'll have the direct approach when they're bringing the Republicans and they'll have the indirect approach through which they're waging the same war. So the Muslims need to know the deep state. They need to know their policies and objectives and know what the level of the battle uh, is at that ideological level. Yeah, no, I really appreciate your comments. I think that that has to be the underlying note. I think a lot of people have become apolitical 
um, Islamic, you know, from, from, a, from a lot of Muslims. And sometimes without kind of pointing fingers, sometimes even the, the masajids and places that we go to pray, you know, have pushed us to become apolitical and and kind of push politics out of Islam and and just worry about our, our nafs and our inner kind of rituals and things like that. But just these kind of topics, as Madassa was saying as well, really important because if you don't know what your adversaries are planning against you if you don't know that islam is more than just the ritual aspects and the spiritual aspects then what will happen is you'll be very easily duped so certainly we should spend time to become politically more clued up and i think also i noticed um, that you know when a new president comes in in america you get many many muslims suddenly cheering or getting happy that oh okay the previous one's gone and maybe this one's going to be better maybe some of his policies are going to be better you might have also got these i got lots of whatsapp messages saying oh look trump some people were saying look trump was better he didn't um start any external wars other people were saying various things about biden but you saw you know again i'm not saying this is all muslims but you saw muslims who suddenly got duped by another president coming in and somehow that president was going to be better than the previous one. But the points you guys have made about the deep state, about those people who initiate these policies and influence these policies, that's what I think Muslims need to take away from, from sessions like this. So first of all, Jazakallah khair to both of you for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and Jazakallah khair for everybody who's listened. If you've enjoyed um, the session, please do do share it. We're on all popular platforms, Facebook, YouTube, um, Instagram, Telegram. Um, so you can get our content out there. So to, do please do, do please follow us, share our content and, and support us. So assalamu alaikum and thanks for listening and watching. Jazakallah.